are beginning a new series over three weeks. It's called Us Versus Them. Uh, for those of you who join with us in the morning service, uh, we did do this a few years ago in our morning service as well, and we'll be going through this over the three weeks. Now, when you initially look at the title of this series, you might be a little bit confused. Um, I would have thought uh, that the church is not supposed to have uh, an, uh, an attitude of us versus them. Um, but in our world today, we do live in a world with an us versus them mentality. And there's many people who view different, uh, people who are different from them and people with a different viewpoint as the enemy. Um, but the church is supposed to be something very, very different from that. Um, in a world that's even more divided than it's ever been, there's a way that Jesus offers us that's different in how we approach one another. And throughout this series, what we're going to be looking at is some of the ways that Jesus calls us to interact with people uh, that we disagree with. And one of Jesus' most important teachings about this, one of the most central teachings about this, comes in Matthew 5, 43 to 44, um, which is just a great thing for us to hang this whole series on. Um, in Matthew 5, 43 to 44, Jesus said, you have heard it heard that it was said, love your, your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The central teaching of this is completely opposite to, uh, um, to the teaching of having an us versus them mentality. Now, loving others, particularly for, uh, people who are different from us, this is very, very central to the teaching of Jesus. And yet even the church is increasingly becoming known by what we are against rather than what we're for. Now, in the society we live in, everything is becoming more and more polarised around different things, but the church is called to be different from this. Every single year, um, there's a point that I find um, a lot of people come against me, and this is during State of Origin, of course. Now, I'm a, uh, a Blues supporter, which uh, many of you would, would know. Any other Blues supporters? We've got one right here, and no one else is, uh, is a Blues supporter. You're all looking upon me with judgment right now. Um, but there are these three moments throughout every single year that most of you hate me. You do have a, a, a us-versus-them mentality, and this is okay when it comes to sports, uh, but what I find more and more and more is that there are things throughout our world where people are treating everything like a sports game. Now, there are, of course, different convictions that we have about different things. There are things that none of us are going to agree about, even in the church. There are some big differences that people have. There are people who are Calvinist or Arminian. There are complementarians and egalitarians. There are people who baptise adults and are convinced of this. People who baptise infants convinced of this. Should worship be contemporary or traditional? Even politically in our world, there is liberal or Labour or Republican or Democrat or Conservative or Progressive. Now, none of these disagreements on their own are bad things, in fact, I think disagreeing with one another is ultimately what causes all of us to get better because we come to things with different points of view. But there is an issue when we veer away from just having disagreements with one another and we veer into the, uh, the territory of having an us versus them mentality. And this is the culture that we live in today. 
More and more, this is the narrative of life around us, and it's becoming increasingly so. Not only is this mindset in existence, but at many times it's encouraged or celebrated. Now, why is this? Why in our society today do we have uh, an increasing um, level of an us versus them uh, mindset? I'm going to ask you to discuss that with one another, discuss with one another why you think our world could be coming, becoming more and more polarised. So do that with the person next to you for about 30 seconds, and then I'm going to ask for some, uh, some responses. Okay? 30 seconds. Why do we have a more uh, increasingly polarised society? Hey, um, like most of you have shared some of the, the things of, uh, of what I... Um, what I've uh, thought as, as well. But it, uh, even for me, I was just reflecting on this over this past week. Um, and about a year ago, you, uh, most of you would have seen on TV some uh, altercation that happened between two celebrities. Um, Chris Rock made some uh, inappropriate comments about a, uh, a certain man's wife, Will Smith's wife, uh, and Will Smith thought it would be the best idea in this moment to go and slap Chris Rock in the face. Um, now, whatever you uh, think about that whole event, when I heard about this, I was quite curious about what was going on, and so I uh, immediately went and looked this up on YouTube and wanted to find out more about the background of what was going on. But then I went down this rabbit hole of things that were being recommended to me, and I have discovered more about Will Smith and Chris Rock than I would have ever cared to learn about. Um, now, our access to information is, uh, is greater than it has been at any other time through our life. Um, and if we look up things online, uh, most of you would have experienced this, we will often have similar things recommended to us, making us more and more staunch within our views of different things. But this also causes us to, uh, to think or feel like anyone who disagrees is automatically wrong or is automatically the enemy. Um, a term that's becoming increasingly more common to describe this is herd mentality. So the belief that you align yourself with a group and whatever this group thinks, I must think as well. But the problem is, is that when you adopt this sort of mentality, this herd mentality, you don't realise that there are other people around in the world who have gone down completely other rabbit holes. They might have their own, and they might have their own thought-out convictions that are different from, uh, from you. And this is a huge part, not the only part, but this is a huge part of what contributes uh, within our world to having an us-versus-them mentality. But there is a better way that Jesus promotes and that Jesus teaches his followers uh, to live out. And this is what our series is all about over these three weeks. This series is less of uh, three separate sermons and more of one sermon spread out over three weeks. And the foundation of everything that we're going to be looking at throughout this comes in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 27. So if you have your Bibles as well, we'll be camping out for the rest of our time. Genesis 1, 26 to 27. This is just at the end of the, uh, of the creation narrative. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
So at the beginning of creation right here, we have God creating all sorts of different things. He began with light. He breathed out day and night, and then he created the water and the sky. Then he created the ground with trees and bushland. He created stars and the moon and the sun. Then he created all other creatures. He created sea creatures, birds, and land creatures. But it still wasn't complete even at this point because God saved his greatest creation for last, which was humanity. Now, God looked upon all of the things that he had created, all of these things before humanity, and he had said that it was good. But then when we get to humanity, something changes within the language that God uses, and he calls humanity very good. Now, it sounds really nice for God to say that we are very good, um, but I've never gone up to my wife and uh, complimented her by saying, you're very good. Out of all the compliments that I could give her, this is probably not on the top of her bucket list. Now, when God was saying that humanity is very good and that the creation that he had made was good, he wasn't saying that it is functional like a well-oiled machine. He wasn't giving himself a pat on the back and telling himself that he had done a great job. Rather, in the original language, this is far more like a painter who is stepping back from creating a work of art and saying that it is beautiful, this is wonderful. It has connotations of beauty and wonder. And I picture God stepping back from everything that he had created, almost choking up and being awed by the, thing, by the beautiful things that he had made. He is more proud of, uh, of humanity than anything else that he had created. But God takes it one step further even from this. He doesn't just say that we were created beautiful, but we were made to be like him. We were created in the image of God. This is the language used here in, uh, in Genesis 1, 26 to 27. We were made to resemble God. Now, even at creation, it's clear that there are some pretty distinct differences between humanity and God. We are physical beings. God is not. We don't have absolute power. We don't have absolute knowledge. But there are multiple ways that we are the reflection of God, that we do resemble aspects of who God is. We have the ability to reason and make choice. We have the ability to invent and create. We were created with a sense of right and wrong. There is a moral conscience that we have inbuilt internally within us. We were created as social beings. We weren't created to be alone. And God made us to interact with us. But he himself is also a triune God. He is three persons in one God. So he is inherently social in his nature. Now, for most of us, this doesn't seem or sound like a very big deal. We've been like this our whole lives. We just live this out all the time. But none of the rest of creation is like this. My dogs don't paint beautiful artwork. They don't come up with wonderful songs uh, throughout their days. These are all the things that inherently um, make us beautiful and cause us to, uh, to image God in different ways. During... Um, during ancient times, during much of the time that the that scriptures were written, um, many different societies lived under the rule of different kings or monarchs. 
Um, and many of these monarchs claimed to be uh, God themselves or claimed to be one of the gods. And through defining themselves as God, they were also saying that they were the ones who, uh, who defined what morality was for their kingdoms. And after naming themselves as God, they would often build statues or idols all around the country uh, and throughout their kingdom. But these statues were not just seen as uh, as, uh, as things that were built just, to, um, just to, to look good in their in their society, but they were viewed as extensions of the king himself and they were supposed to be worshipped. So you would have all of these statues and idols of the king built all around a kingdom which were seen as extensions of the king, if he viewed himself as God, uh, which meant the people would worship these statues. But God himself chooses to do something completely different from what uh, these earthly king kings would do. God rejects man-made versions of himself. Uh, in the Ten Commandments, he actually forbids man-made versions of himself because he has already created you and me. We are little extensions of himself. He's put certain aspects of himself within every single one of us. And as people who uh, have the image of God within us, we resemble God in a whole, uh, whole range of different ways. Um, one of the ways that we resemble God in this world is as rulers over this world. The very next part of this passage in, first, uh, in Genesis, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So as rulers of this world, our job is to fill the earth with the image of God. Our job has always been to display the goodness of God throughout the whole world. Now, when I first thought about this, I wasn't a huge fan of thinking about myself as a ruler that, uh, and part of my job is to spread uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the whole world. I mean, most rulers who... Um, who have lived throughout history, have done a pretty, uh, pretty terrible job. There have been many, many people who have conquered uh, different, uh, different areas and have destroyed everything in their, uh, in their path. But this is clear that this is who we are. Even in Psalm 8, it says, "...you have made them a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned them with glory and honour. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet." all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Now, the issue with most rulers is they see themselves as having authority, but no responsibility. But for us as people who have been given the image of God and now told to be rulers over the earth, we are given authority but we are also given responsibility to, uh, to carry God's image wherever we go, to bring his goodness into the world. So that's the, uh, that's the second thing that being made in the image of God means for us. So we were made to resemble God, we are rulers, and the final thing that this means for us is that we have been created with value and worth. God loves you deeply. God considers you so much more valuable than every other part of his creation. When God said it is very good, 
This applies to every single one of us here in this room. Irrelevance of other people's approval of you, God always views you as having value and worth. Um, just over seven weeks ago, our little son, uh, Zek, was, was born. And our son, Zek, um, after bringing him home, there's not a huge amount that he contributes to our household. Um, he is not useful at dinner time. He's not useful at night time. Um, he's not useful any time, really. Um, and yet... I hold him as having far more value and worth than anything else within our house. And this is not because of what he does, but it's simply because I love him. And this is how it is for us with God. He doesn't love us or say that we have value or worth because of the things that we do for him. He just simply loves you. In Psalm 139, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Being made with value and worth, this is true for every single person that we see in our lives. This is not just true for believers. It's true for every person. This truth is not just something that is true for us here in this room, although it's uh, very reassuring for every single one of us to know that we have value and worth in God, but also this means that every person you come into contact with also is seen this way by God. Every person has value and worth. So when you speak to people, you should see them as people who have value and worth to God. Every person matters to God just as much as, uh, as you do. And this should change the way that you view other people. Suddenly, when you begin looking at people in the way that God does, you realize that the people you disagree with are not your enemies, You don't view people like the world does anymore. You don't gossip about people and speak ill of people. You don't slander people or betray people. You don't hate people or view them as the enemy. Why? Because they are someone who has value and worth to God. Now, let's look at uh, these three things. We were made to resemble God. We are rulers and we all have value and worth. This is what it means for us to be made in the image of God. And yet... Something has clearly gone wrong here. We don't resemble God fully. We don't rule the world well all of the time. We do have value and worth, and yet something's not quite right even there. Although we resemble God, none of us really resemble God fully. I feel even strange saying that we, resemble, we were made to resemble God because we don't do a very good job of it all the time. And then we were made to be rulers, but we're not really doing a great job of that either much of the time. We fight wars, we harm our planet, we cause species to go extinct, we draw divisions between countries, but then we all have value and worth. But even with this, we don't do a great job of living this out all of the time either. 
At many different times, we might view other people as having less value or less worth than other people. And it's clear that sin is the issue that has come in the way here and ruined all of these different things. Now, sometimes we may talk about sin or hear about sin as simply the mistakes that we have made, and that's all. But sin is even deeper than that. Through sin, we are rejecting the way that God has created us, and in doing so, we are rejecting God himself. The image that we have been created with, it's now become tainted. It's like a mirror now that's become scratched and broken. This is what sin has, called, uh, has caused within us. But this is exactly what Jesus came to fix. The image of God that was broken, Jesus took this broken image on himself when he went to the cross so that we might be presented back to God with a renewed image. Suddenly, we are resembling God again. We are made as rulers. God sees us with the fullness of the value and worth that we have because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. This has been done for every single one of us. Why? Because we are so valued and loved by God. Now, some of you might just need to know this tonight. You might just need a real reminder that you are created in the image of God. You are special, unique, loved by an almighty God. That's so true for us here, for all of us here tonight. But the other thing for us to remember is that this has also been done for everyone else. When we leave this place and go throughout our weeks and interact with people, everyone that we interact with has been made in the image of God and God loves them. He sees them as unique and special. These are people who have value and worth to God. So this is what we're doing to, uh, to set up the rest of our series. So if the team wants to come up Right now, we're going to, uh, to spend some time responding in worship. And as the team is just coming up right now, why don't we just stand to our feet together and let's, uh, let's just pray. God, as people who have been made in, your, made in your image, we want to be people who understand the weight of what that means. We want to be people who image you well, who resemble you well, throughout what we do within our lives. We want to be people who rule this world well and honour you as we do so. God, for anyone here tonight who um, maybe just has a, um, has a bit of a sense that they don't have value and worth, that they aren't loved, God, would you just reassure them of your incredible love for them? your love that was so great that you poured out your blood for us on the cross. What an example of love. But God, as we interact with other people throughout our weeks, we don't just want to see ourselves as valued and loved by you. We want to see every person as this. Help us to not view other people as enemies, or opponents or people that we are against help us to see people as you see them open up our spiritual eyes please great God when we speak to people so we can view them like you do help all of us to do this in Jesus name Amen